Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Logistics with Purpose. My name is Enrique Alvarez, and I'm incredibly happy to be here today with my co-host and good partner, sidekick, Christy. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm excited to be here, excited for another great conversation. Um, hopefully, everybody enjoys these conversations as much as we do, because it's just selfishly a way for us to get pumped up and inspired by people. So um, hopefully, other people listening and watching will feel the same way, and this is another good conversation today. I totally agree with you on that. And I think that the way we've been scheduling those interviews uh, throughout our daily tasks and routines are just very strategic so that we can get the right boost of energy talking to the right people as we continue kind of like handling and going through the very challenging times that uh, supply chain is uh, is going through right now. So yeah, this is is amazing. This is one of those moments that I think we both expected and are ready to have. And we have a really good guest today. Uh, and we'll be talking a lot of uh, about different things. There's tons of things happening in the world. That's uh, Haiti's earthquake and Afghanistan and a bunch of other things. So it's very relevant. I expect this to be a very good conversation and we're ready to go. And of course, let me just remind everyone out there that if you enjoy this conversations and you enjoy listening to Logistics with Purpose episodes, don't forget to uh, sign up and follow us on whatever, um, wherever you get your podcast from. Once again, Supply Chain Now, and you can also visit us uh, on our website at supplychainnow.com or at vectorgl.com. All right. With that said, Christy, do you want to do me the honor of uh, introducing our guest today? Yes, I would love to. So today we have Julie Rooser, who is the program manager for Feed the Hungry, and Roger Walterhouse, who is the director of ministry programs for Feed the Hungry. So we're excited to have both of them on, and they're doing really incredible work that people are going to love to hear about. So welcome, Julie and Roger. And welcome. Welcome to the show, Julie and Roger. Thank you. Good to see y'all. We're excited to have you on. Um, so thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to talk to you guys and learn more about Feed the Hungry and uh, all the good work that you're up to. So Julie, we'll put you on the spot first. Um, please tell us a little bit about where you grew up in your childhood. Yeah, so um I don't know how many of the listeners are familiar with Indiana, but we are located right now in South Bend, Indiana, and I was born and raised till I was about 10 years old in Fort Wayne area of Indiana. And so, yeah, I grew up in a family of five children, so never a dull moment there. (laughs) I've got two sisters and two brothers, and we moved up to the Elkhart area, which is just about 20 minutes um, south of here. No, that's not right. I'm east of here. East of here. <laughs> I just make this drive every day of my life. Um, GPS has made me lazy, you know? Yeah. So, so um, yeah, we moved here in 2000 and was, I guess the most of my childhood was here then in teenage years. And yeah, so my parents both still live in the same house that I grew up in when we moved here and got a beautiful relationship with them. I'm the only one who's around the area. The rest of them have all moved on to um, other parts of the country. So yeah, it, it's, it's been great. I love Indiana. I'm very happy to be here. I moved away for a while, but landed back here and landed on my own two feet. And here I am at Feed the Hungry. And Roger, what about you? Can you share a little bit about your background? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I also grew up in this area. Uh, it's called Michiana, which is because it's close to Michigan and Indiana. It's just kind of a combination of both. So 
uh, Michiana is a lot of uh, one one larger community, South Bend, and then a whole bunch of smaller communities that kind of make that all up. So it was a great place to to grow up. We've got uh, Amish in the area. That's kind of a, an intriguing kind yeah. of thing. It draws a lot of people in to come and see the Amish. And we've got Notre Dame football. It's just real close here as well. So it's a it's a good place to be. And uh, so that's I again I grew up around here. So it's pretty pretty amazing. We've also got Lake Michigan, just like an hour away, which is incredible. I don't know if y'all have had an opportunity to go to the Great Lakes. Um, It actually took me leaving and coming back to realize how unique they are to our area. Because, you know, if you zoom out at a map of the United States, the only large bodies of water you're going to see are the ocean. And so then to like see these five Great Lakes that are ginormous and like surround these other Canada and the United States. Uh, it's just really cool because you go there and you, you don't see the land anywhere in sight. So yeah, Lake Michigan is a great place to go in the any time of the year, honestly. Um, there's dunes and things around that area as well. So it draws a lot of people in. Mm, beautiful. Sounds, yeah, like sounds amazing. Local tour guides when we visit too. Yeah, people that are listening to us, please just go yeah. visit South Bend, Indiana. And- <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much again for joining us, Julie and uh, Roger. Um, Julie, looking back, I mean, what's um, what kind of experience? Uh, we're the first part. We're trying to kind of understand a little bit uh, about you and who you are. So, and then really try to to then go into what you do and what you're passionate about. But if you could just share with us and our audience, like a, an experience or two of those early years that kind of like shaped who you are and what you're currently doing. Yeah. So. Um... I definitely, I'm, I'm 31. So I was like early years. Am I like going back to like six years ago or am I going to like a moment when I was 12 years old, like <laughs> trying to kind of figure that out. So, I mean, I, I was thinking about this and obviously the, the work that we do here is, is, um, relief work and just trying to really bring, bring hope to people that are, um, in need. And so as long back as I can remember, I was trying to think about this earlier. And my parents instilled at me at a very young age to just to give back and to, to care for people. I remember marching and, um, I don't, they weren't protests, but just marching for like causes and things when I was younger and always volunteering. I was proud to be a 10 year member in 4-H. And so just always being a part of things that I, I, I was like in dog club and foods and stuff. So I wasn't like over on a a tractor or anything or raising cattle, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, always being a part of something that was bigger than myself. And so that was instilled in me, like I said, from a young age. And I honestly had no idea that I would enter this sort of work. I went into um, hospitality and tourism management and school. So, you know, I've, I've loved to cook my whole life, love to be a part of things when people are having a good time. And for the most part, when you're out to dinner, you're generally having a good time, right? Or when you're on vacation, you're generally having a good time. And so, um, in, in college though, I, I studied hospitality and tourism management, and then I, I thought it was it for me. And then I went over, um, I, I, after graduating for about a year, I worked in the industry and quickly realized that, it wasn't it for me. (laughs) Um, and so then from there, I, and this might be jumping into the next question a little bit. So I apologize, but um, I actually just was being very introspective in my life and kind of reflecting, asking the Lord, like where I was supposed to go. Um, I was, you know, 25 years old and just 
having, I'm like, it's, I'm a year out of college. I can't possibly not pursue what I just went to school studying for the last four years. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I growing up, my mom had been very, my mother and my grandmother and my grandfather for that matter as well, had all been very involved in um, going to Belize and being in mission missionaries there. And so my grandma actually had a house there and they just always talked about Belize, Belize, like just really being engulfed in the community and loving on people there and sharing the hope of, um, of Christ with them. And so, you know, I, I hadn't at that point in time, I, I'd gone over, I'd gone to Canada and I went to Mexico when I was a baby at one years old. <laughs> so I was like, not much experience. Traveling. You got to go back to Mexico. I'm sure you don't remember I, I'm that. going <laughs> in, in January, but I'm going to Cancun. So I don't think that's really that's more like Miami beach, but yeah, yes. right. <laughs> Still in Mexico. Um, so after, after college and that one year of working in the professional field, I just like was reflecting of what I should be doing and, um, heard about an organization called adventures and missions. And they do a trip called the world race where you travel to 11 countries in 11 months and live out of a backpack, live in radical community. Um, you're with, about, I was with my squad was about 40 people. And then we were broken up into smaller teams from there. And so what we would do is we would travel to these various countries and come alongside already established organizations and ministries, churches, um, schools, whoever, I mean, we would just serve and work with them for a month. And so that really wow. instilled in me this incredible desire to experience other cultures and to just show people the love of Christ and to just continue to travel and to, to be a part of something again, far bigger than myself. And so I actually did that trip, um, traveled to South Southern Africa, Central America and, um, and Southeast Asia on that round was home for eight months, went back out for another 11 months. This is like the cliff notes version <laughs> <laughs> for another 11 months. All with the, with the world race, right? I mean, yes, yes, this is yes. an amazing organization. That yeah. sounds like so much fun. And it sounds had like several friends. Who've done it and it's yeah, it, it, it is. Yeah, definitely just really helped to craft my worldview as a mid How many countries, how many countries did you end up visiting? Well, uh, for the first eight months and then the other round. the Yeah. So, I mean, some of them would be like, we, you know, we were close to the border so we could go over and see something for the afternoon right. or whatnot. And then, um, so I, in total, not just through the world race, because I also went to Australia in between those trips, but, um, I've been to 26 countries. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. I'm trying to catch up with my age. I'm like, we got to do a lot of travel. <laughs> Especially after the year that we've all had, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely got to catch up with our travel. Um, but yeah, so so I, I went back overseas for another 11 months and I was only supposed to be gone for five at that point. But um, through discussing our, with our leadership and things, we ended up staying a little bit longer through the whole duration of the second trip. And so then I came back and I was like, all right, well, these student loans aren't going to pay for themselves. So. <laughs> Especially after, yeah, going around the world twice. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I wasn't paying on them for a minute, you know? Um, <laughs> so after that, I was like, all right, well, what am I going to do? And I didn't even know Feed the Hungry was in South Bend. I had no idea. Um, but through, you know, being working for my dad in the auto part industry for about five months while I was trying to figure out how I was going to pay off these loans, where I was going to work and things. I just kept applying for positions on Indeed and it landed me here in um, working in Gift and Kind is where I started at here. So we can get more into that in a bit. Yeah. yeah, I would say that just a really impactful moment of my past is just 
igniting that desire to experience other cultures and to just love on people all around the world. Um, I feel the most myself when I'm, when I'm traveling and when I'm overseas and, you know, it's even though there's language barriers in every country you go to, um, a smile says it all. And to find joy working with children who are our programs focus on feeding children. Um, so to find the joy of just engaging with them, it's so simple, you know, you can't even say hello in the same way, but yet like you can do a handshake or you can play a game. Like you'd be surprised if you hold out your hands like this, all these kids know this game where you like, just try to slap each other's hands as quickly as possible. And it's just, yeah, to try to be creative in ways to engage and show them love and just to, um, to, yeah, to love on them. It's amazing how easily and open like children are in general, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just not something that they really even think twice about. And uh, yeah. it's a great that thanks for sharing. It sounds like a great experience. And thanks yeah. for sharing it. Absolutely. You had a very productive quarter life crisis. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you, didn't, you got up and you went somewhere. What was, um, I've had several friends that have done that trip. What was your favorite country? Yes. I can't believe you did two so soon together too. That's um, yeah. <laughs> At one point, I wasn't sure if there would be any more in there, but um, but my favorite country, actually, I have two. So in in Southeast Asia, Thailand, absolutely my favorite country I've been to. We were in the northern area, so Shang Shang Rai. I don't know why I rolled my R there. It's not a Spanish country. Yeah, right. So Chiang Rai is a very mountainous rural area, not too far from Chiang Mai, which is a little bit more like touristy, has a lot more going on, but definitely not city like Bangkok. It's like small town feels. Um, but our host there, she was from Australia and she married a Thai man just incredible, incredible couple. Actually, they worked for Destiny Rescue, who works with girls coming out of um, sex trafficking. And they, he didn't speak any English when they met. Oh, wow. (laughs) They started dating (laughs) and he didn't speak English. So he was learning English as they were dating. And now they've been married for like eight years. And so I think just their dynamic and we lived on a farm. So planted 12,000 pineapples (laughs) there. That was our ministry for the month. (laughs) They weren't ready for us. We came a year early, but she didn't want to turn us down. (laughs) That's so nice. What can we have this team do for an entire month? So every day we were out with a hoe and throwing pineapples in the ground. Oh my gosh. Um, But there in Honduras. Is pineapple your favorite food? You know, I do really enjoy it. (laughs) Hospitality, interestingly enough. Yes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) International sign of welcome. Yeah. Yes. But, um, it, it is not, but it's up there, but yeah. And then, and then Honduras, uh, I loved uh, that country as well. Worked with, um, basically family and children services would take children out of homes that there was abuse happening. And then we worked at a, a center where they would take the kids in and be, act as a liaison before they could place them back with, um, another family member, they could be adopted. And so really excited. We're actually going there in three weeks um, for an entirely different purpose because now I'm working for Feed the Hungry. But um, but I'm excited to get back there because I really enjoyed my experience there as well. That's fantastic. Roger, what about you? What's an experience from your past that helped shape what you do now and your worldview? Sure. Yeah, I I grew up in a ministry home. My dad and mom were pastors. And uh, so from very early, we, we learned the whole idea of service and, and really looking at other individuals and how we can help other people. And uh, I think one of the things that really um, kind of stands out as I think back on my, my experiences 
is my first trip that I ever took overseas. That was to the nation of India. Mm-hmm. And uh, to to um, have the cultural shock of moving, going from the United States and uh, the next, you know, kind of the mo- next moment you're landing in in India and begin being exposed to the, the cultural differences. Um, sometimes cultural shock isn't a great thing. We've I've led mission trips before where people just kind of tuck into the fetal position because of the <laughs> cultural shock, but it was something that really invigorated me. And it was something that right away challenged me to look beyond my own individual circumstances and really looking at how can I give back? What can I do? to, to, to minister. And, um, so at that point I was, um, I was a pastor of a church as well, um, began leading mission teams and that led into me being involved with a lot of children's and youth ministry. And, uh, because of that, uh, the, especially with the, with the youth ministry, uh, began leading a lot of youth teams overseas. And, um, that led into some opportunities, doors opening, uh, where I landed here at feed the hungry, and uh, what a what an awesome experience. So for, for me, because we work with so many children around the world, uh, for me, as I look back on the experiences of being involved with children and youth ministries in the churches that I pastored, um, that really has been the catalyst for what drives me. I recognize that so many kids around the world are just so poorly equipped to deal with with life. <laughs> They just have, they don't have the privileges that we have here in the United States. They haven't had the opportunities for education, mm-hmm. um, especially young, young girls that are just so poorly treated all around the world. And uh, so my, my heart and my passion is really to help um, cultures understand the importance of children, especially within uh, the context of churches that we work with, helping them understand the need for children's ministry uh, how important it is to, to uh, resource kids to be all that they can be. Yeah. And that really drives me every day is just to help position kids in a much different way. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing. Um, and I'm sure for India, the culture shock was a little bit easier just because they're such lovely people, so warm and friendly. We were welcomed really well. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we found ourselves in a, in a place uh, where right away they, they put us in a place to, uh, to just succeed. And uh, I was there for 21 days. Uh, so it was a, a very formative experience for me and uh, just helping me understand uh, kind of what my path in life would be and my, my goals in life. So one of the things that it's really driven me to do is within ministries that I work in is encouraging parents to put, put their children into a, about 16, 17 years of old old, put them into a position where they have to be exposed in a yeah. cross-cultural experience Absolutely. to give them a worldview that they're not going to get by, you know, being on their Facebook pages or, you know, whatever, uh, Instagram and playing video games, but to really put them into a place where they have to confront that the world isn't like what they see. Uh, most of the world is much, much different than what we have here yeah. in the United States. That's a great, great thing to kind of teach, uh, Children, I have two, and yes, just expose children to the world. That sounds yeah. like a really, really good suggestion yeah. from you, Roger. Do you have any favorite countries? Favorite countries I've been in? Um, I've been a, a, a quite a few. I think one of my favorite ones, um, I, I, lo- I love Honduras as well, but um, one that really stands out for me is I love Zimbabwe. I've, I've been there a couple of times with our programs here at Feed the Hungry, and uh, the, the culture there is... Um, 
it's it's pretty awesome. I, I've enjoyed our, our conversations with our team there. Uh, they're always very open to uh, showing us the country. They like to show it off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good things to see there in Zimbabwe. Um, so, but man, I've been to a lot of places. Everyone has kind of little favorite <laughs> moments, you know, where, right. I, where I, all of a sudden I just have to kind of uh, have one of those moments where it's like, am I, am I really standing yeah. at the, you know, headwaters of the Nile river? I mean, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Or, you know, just, just those moments of like seeing a, you know, being in safari when we have a little time off and seeing wild giraffes, you know, or, uh, you know, in Honduras, uh, just being up in indigenous tribes where there's still people that the government doesn't know about. They're wow. just, they're so off yeah. the grid. Uh, and having those moments where you just, you have no context for it until you're there. And when you're there, then it's just a little surreal. And then to go home, you know, and two days later, you have to mow your yard or shovel your snow or whatever else you kind of deal with, you know, uh, back to paying bills and, you know, yeah, it's just a, it's a crazy experience. Yeah. yeah. Julie, you talked a little about um, arriving at Feed the Hungry and your journey to get there. And, but talk to us a little bit more about what specifically your role is and um, what you do for the organization. <clears throat> yeah. So um, I started here in November of 2018 and my position is interesting because Feed the Hungry pretty much hires exclusively through word of mouth. You know, mm-hmm. someone that works here. Um, but for reasons that, that are a mystery to us all, they posted this job description on indeed. And that's how I found it. (laughs) Um, yeah, so obviously that was something divine. So I started here in November, 2018 as a gift in kind administrator. So I don't know the listeners are familiar with gift in kind, but, um, yeah. So what, what that looks like is all the food that gets donated or it doesn't necessarily have to be food, but for us, it's predominantly food um, because we're feeding the hungry. Um, so <laughs> these items that get donated, they, they have a monetary value. And so there's a lot of documentation that has to go into collecting that and making sure that all of your T's and are crossed and your I's are dotted um, so that you're in line with the IRS and things of that nature. And so just making sure that all of um, the paperwork is done. And so that was how I started here. And that, that got my foot in the door and familiarized myself with the ministry and what we do here. And all the ideas started coming after that. And obviously I was hoping to travel someday. And so, <laughs> so thankfully um, the opportunity has, has come that I will be traveling more. Well, we will be traveling more Lord willing. And, uh, 2021 and 2022. But yeah, so I started in that position and then kind of moved into um, working with our overseas partners. And so now my my technical title, if you will, is our, our program manager. And so um, basically my, my level of communication with our, our overseas partners is just a lot higher than most and Rogers is high as well. But I'm, I'm trying to get back data from them, make sure they don't run out of food, figuring out how much food they have in inventory, what the dynamic of their feeding programs are like, how many feeding programs they have, how many kids they're feeding, um, just checking in with them on various capacities, making sure that we're sending funding when needed. Um, and, and then all of the logistics component as well. I work very closely with our freight forwarder and our donors who donate the food to make sure that it gets loaded 
into the containers, that it gets taken to the port, that it sails as smoothly as you can. You just say a prayer and then it goes off. And <laughs> <laughs> well, oftentimes more than one prayer. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then once it arrives in country, I'm very communicative with our partners and making sure they know when it's coming, what needs to happen on their end with customs in order to clear it and things of that nature. And then getting it back safely to their warehouse and making sure that they have a distribution plan, um, how the food is being distributed, then getting the feedback back from them on maybe some really great stories that they have or some impactful moments that we can then share with our donors. And then the process repeats itself. (laughs) So you're also teaching all these individual pastors and ministry leaders on the ground to be logistics experts. Too. Oh, yes, we, be a whole we, different education. Yeah, we definitely try. And some of them have, you know, because there's no like one shoot fits all sort of mentality with what it's like to be a partner with Feed the Hungry. And so some of the organizations work, we work with, like if they get brought on as a partner, they might have experience already clearing containers. And so, or they, they have a broker or somebody that they work with um, that is a professional because, you know, they can hire someone to do a job that would take them twice as long and a lot more effort and frustration. Why wouldn't they just <laughs> make the hire? <laughs> so, um, but yes, I mean, it's just every, every partner is so unique in what they bring to the table. If they're willing to take it on themselves, if they have a broker or somebody that they're working with that will facilitate the clearing process for them, then that might be the case as well. But yeah, I mean, definitely lots of communication and sometimes it's hard because I mean, I've been to Uganda in 2019. That's the only place I've traveled so far with Feed the Hungry. Not with lack of trying. Supposed to go to Honduras <laughs> earlier this year, but sickness got the, the better part of me there. So, um, but yeah, so I, I, we haven't, I haven't specifically been there to observe the feeding programs. And so, you know, you're, you're doing all the communication virtually and just trying to have an understanding of what it looks like in each country and at their various programs. Thank you so much. Royer, now your turn. What positions and kind of like key moments have actually marked your career? And and, and just walk us through like uh, what you do on a day-to-day basis so that our audience can better understand like all the intricacies that uh, that entail helping so many people all over the world. Because uh, I mean, Julie already kind of like gave us a very good idea of how complicated and, and, <laughs> and difficult like logistics and operations really are. But uh, sure. what about you? Well, the reason uh, that we ship the food is really where where I jump in then. And we recognize that, um, you know, children are much, much more than just a physical body, much more than a stomach to fill. And so we we take it beyond what we say ministry beyond the feeding lines. So if we just fed hungry kids, that would be great. And that's a that's an amazing thing to do. But we also recognize that in these individuals lives, these children's lives is that uh, we also um, want to make sure their 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 intellect and their emotions, their relationships, all of those parts and pieces around them, are also being fulfilled. And so, my responsibility really takes on that piece. So, Julie is really uh, the gears and the and the pieces that are moving there, where I would be dealing a lot more on the personal level of just uh, helping train our. Uh, in-country partners, uh, the churches that they navigate and work through, uh, just helping them understand the importance of children's ministry. We do a lot of work with um, scripture literature, distribution, uh, parts and pieces there that we can get uh, that into their hands as well. Working with uh, with schools and working with uh, even beyond that, like uh, just kind of civic organizations and so on, even within countries of just trying to maximize 
the children and the exposure that they have to all these different parts of their lives. So here at Feed the Hungry, we, our, our little catchphrase is a full life feels good. And we recognize that a full life goes well beyond just filling their bellies. We also have that responsibility of engaging their minds, engaging relationships, and, and really helping them excel in being the, the people that will change their culture. Uh, so that that's that's kind of a big, big picture of what I do. I could get into the nuts and bolts of all the little parts and pieces, but um, that's kind of the 30,000 foot view there of, of what I do. So I do a lot. I've done a lot of travel, a lot of engaging with our with our in-country partners, really helping them understand uh, how they can do a better job at, uh, at fulfilling just the, the whole aspect of a child's life rather than just that nutritional piece that um, many people would assume Feed the Hungry is involved in. So. Yeah. Um, and since you're, we'll also ask you, um, I know you gave us the broad overview. Thank you for that. And we've mentioned Feed the Hungry to this point, but Roger, if you'll also just cover for those who aren't familiar um, with such a longstanding organization, yeah. kind of tell us about the mission and the sure. history of the organization and how you guys came to be and yeah. uh, started Great. serving so many kids. So it goes back to 1987 uh, when the um, uh, Christian evangelist, statesman, church planner, uh, Dr. Lester Summerall began Feed the Hungry. And he really began it with, uh, with the idea of, of when we pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Like, what would it look like if we as the church would help people and answer that question <laughs> or answer that prayer? Uh, give us this day our daily bread. And so we really work hard to try and it's kind of our over idea right there. As people are seeking, how do I how do I fulfill my daily need for food for myself and for my children? Feed the Hungry really has has had that initial vision of being able to fulfill that that piece, and then we do all of that through local churches. And so, what's really exciting about that is, um, again, we we recognize that even in some closed countries where churches maybe aren't as open as they can be or should be. Um, the church still is a very, very powerful change agent in the community. And so when we can resource the church with the parts and pieces they need, it can change an entire community. So if we're in this situation, we're, we're resourcing them with food and we're giving them uh, the opportunity, the tools to be able to, um, to set up feeding centers in their community through their church or through a school, mm -hmm. through a, a community center where they might be able to bring the kids in. Um, and that that really transforms that community. And so we're not out planting big feed the hungry flags all over the place and you know establishing big office buildings and buying cars and staff and all the things there. We really try to run very lean and we do that through the people that are there on the ground. They understand their culture the best. We, right. we, we wanna resource <laughs> them to be able to do the work that they know will be the most efficient and effective in their communities. Yeah. And, uh, and again, then we, we, we go even broader than that too. Uh, we do work here in the United States with domestic ministries here. We do a lot of uh, a response to disaster relief, hurricanes, earthquakes and such uh, here in the United States and abroad. So there's a lot of parts and pieces that we have. And, um, and it's really exciting to just look for those opportunities where, where there's need, we're gonna try and, and help fulfill that need with, with food. We'll come back right to you, Roger, but I uh, and we'll definitely want to talk a little bit more about two things that are uh, current to what we're facing right now, Haiti and Afghanistan, and we'll like to hear your thoughts thoughts on that. But before that, Julie, uh, we all kind of like 
um, understand poverty differently. And, and so I was wondering if you could give us, for me and for our audience, like a little bit more information about like what poverty really means and what it is and what kind of like uh, indicators you're following closely uh, for Feed the Hungry. Um, do you have any stats about kind of where we are in that regards? Yeah, so I, I, I will, yes, absolutely that we all understand poverty differently. Um, people here in the United States, you know, they might think, I mean, and, and they very well could be living in poverty, but the reality is that even the people living in poverty within the United States are rich compared to those living in poverty in third world countries, um, because in third world countries, there's, there's not government assistance to the level that there is here in the United States. And so, you know, the majority of the world is living on less than $2 a day and, wow that $2 isn't just like they can go and guarantee show up at their job, work for an hour, work for eight hours and make $2. No, it's like they might make $2. They might not make $2. They might go out there and try to sell their produce that they've used all of the money that they have to grow. And they might sell some, they might not sell some, they might chip away at rocks all day long and they might sell the chipped rocks. They might not, you know, so it's just, it's very much unknown, um, I would say. And so, so poverty, I'll try to keep this brief. Um, <laughs> it is poverty, a huge problem. So yeah. Yeah. And, and poverty is so much more than physical poverty too, because you can have relational poverty, right. you can have um, financial poverty, you can have like physical poverty, you can have spiritual poverty, right? Like it's such a, right. an interesting view when you look at it from that lens, because so often we just associate it with money, but that's not the case, right? And so um, what I will say is in what is lacking in these countries that we work in of financial and physical needs. So they have those, they're po they have poverty in that regard. They don't have that in the relational aspect, right. like relational poverty is very much relevant here in the United States, but in these other countries, they understand community and they understand representing, rep showing up for one another when it's needed. And, you know, like I, I will never forget, this wasn't a feed the hunger related trip, but I was in Haiti and these children were just running everywhere. Like we were just walking, taking a little tour throughout the village and they're just running into each other's homes. And like this, I remember this, this lady, she needed to punish one of the kids. It wasn't even her own kid, but like, she just took it right <laughs> upon herself to punish this kid. And I was just it's like, Oh, they've got it like that. Like, yeah, it's just the village. They all know one another and they live in this beautiful community where they're, they're present and relevant in one another's life. And they have permission to speak into each other's lives and to, to show up for each other in a way that is so foreign to us as Americans when we live our individualized lives. And so, you know, poverty is represented in various capacities in, in different parts of the world. But I think that's something that's so huge for us as Americans to understand is that uh, every day of the week, we are better off here, even if you're living in, you know, the, the, the ghetto and you're living off food stamps or whatever, if you're living in a $5 billion house, like every person here in the United States is going to have more money on average than, than anybody in these third world countries. Mm -hmm. And even if you are living in poverty in the United States, you have access right, to right, assistance. Right. It's, Not all, even uh, just it's all rapid, right? Yes. As yeah. you mentioned. And it just said very powerful um, things there. One, of course, that we should all be more aware of kind of like what we have and be thankful and grateful for what mm -hmm. we have. Yeah. Uh, Cause there's, as you said, like a lot of other countries that are living with uh 
way less means. But the other thing that really caught my attention, and I'm sure it will our our listeners as well, is like the you you mentioned it. Uh, there's like this relationship poverty in this country that you don't necessarily see in other countries that are actually mm. way less poor financially mm-hmm. speaking. Uh, is that generalized? Is there any? Do you really think that there's just a little bit of a more of a problem here when it comes to that part of uh, poverty, like when it comes to relationships and community and. In do I think that there's more of a problem here in the United States? Yeah, I mean, is that something that we should probably raise oh. awareness off as well? A hundred percent, and I think that it, it's only like if we look to future generations. And I mean, I'm not a mom, but I have nieces and nephews, and I work with children here in the United States as well through various capacities. But you see it; they're yeah. engulfed. And this is like generational and different. It, it, it manifests in different ways because with the children, I see it is how engulfed they are in technology. Mm-hmm. and addicted, right? Like, and technology is created to be addicted. Like, it's not like it's, oh, we just created this incredible app and everybody just happens to be using it. This wasn't intentional. It's like, no, like they want you to focus on it and be zoned in and spending all of your time on it, right? Because the dollar bills they rack up as people spend more time on this technology. Mm-hmm. And so you've got these, these children that don't know how to even have a conversation or look up from their phone or have eye contact with you or to like, ask you how you're doing once you ask them how you're doing, you know, like they don't, it's just like this, the stuff that isn't being taught to them. But then you also have these adults who are, you know, maybe they didn't grow up with the technology that the kids nowadays are having it, but they have had it introduced to them. And it is just as addictive for adults. It might not be like change, like shedding up your worldview and how you're thinking and stuff. But at the same time, like the workplace in 2020 showed this, right? Like the workplace is moving more and more to a technological stand, like Mm -hmm. usage. And so you're just everywhere you look, people are on their phones, people are on their computers, people are like engulfed in technology. And it's so hard for us to unplug. And it is directly related to our relationships and how we engage with one another. And I mean, obviously I'm a little biased because I went on this trip I mentioned earlier, which allowed me to just really experience community in a way that I never would have in any other fashion, but it it showed me how deep relationships can be and how surface level that we have settled for, um, here in the United States and, and not just the United States. I mean, it's, it's going to be anywhere you go, um, that where you can fill the void with a temporary, like anything, whether it's technology, whether it's. Uh, a drink, like when you can fill these voids where you could have them filled with a relationship, but you're turning to a vice, um, then you're not truly experiencing connection that we were, we were made for. I mean, like there's so many different sources we could talk about specifically, like the connection with, with the Lord that can show us, um, just model what intimacy looks like. And then we can have that with our fellow human mankind. Um, and there's, yeah, it's just, yeah. Going no, deep is, yeah, is not absolutely. as common as I'd like here. Thank, thank you for sharing that. And I know that we kind of deviated a little bit from yeah. uh, from the main topic. But like yeah, it's important to, right? important to, <laughs> I did, uh, but it's important to highlight that as well, right? So we're kind of raising awareness uh, all around, not only when it comes to logistics and financial poverty, but just like all kinds of poverty. So yeah. thanks. Yeah. And speaking of relationships, let's, let's, um, I wanted to also ask you a little bit more, Julie, about the, um, local church partners. We talked about that 
um, and all the coordination that that, you know, and the customized way that you guys do it. Um, not an easy process. I'm sure just in the last few years since you've been with Feed the Hungry, there's been a lot of lessons learned um, working with the different countries and then the different people on the grounds and the different rules and regulations and all the different hum, uh, the hoops that you have to jump through. So if you could um, just help us understand a little bit more about what lessons you've learned during that time to improve your process and make it more efficient and effective and empower the people on the ground even further. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Roger and I were discussing this question yesterday and um, really it, it's so basic what I'm going to answer for the first thing. And it, it's fluid in all aspects of life, but you just, you can't communicate enough, mm-hmm. like truly. And especially in the shipping world, what's yeah. happening right now, like it could change at the, the drop of a hat. It's just, it's unprecedented times that we're seeing in the logistics world right now. And I mean, there's some things that have happened, you know, the Suez Canal that affected things, just the insane demand of things coming out of Asia right now that's affecting things like how backed up things are at the port, you know, so there's so many things that are beyond your control. (laughs) And so, so you just, you have to just kind of roll with it and be like, okay, well, what can we do to improvise? Can we do anything? Is this just, it is what it is. And we need to not get frustrated because it's wasted energy. Right. You know? Um, but thankfully we work with an incredible freight forwarder who knows way more about this stuff than either of us do because he's been in the business for decades. And so, um, he's able to really talk through those things with me, but I think just communicating with our partners is huge because, you know, in our program in Uganda, for example, we're feeding over 50,000 kids through our every child, every day program there. And so they're getting two containers a month. That's what we're sending them two containers that have, um, you know, 272,000 meals on them a piece. And so they're, they're receiving them nearly every few weeks. Cause sometimes, you know, it might back up to where something happened and now they've got four containers coming in this week. So we have to make sure they have the space for it. We have to make sure that uh, all of their programs are equipped. And yeah, so it, it just looks different than you have the countries where we're working in, where they're getting four containers in an entire year's time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, just communicating is the most important thing. I'm, I'm telling them once it's loaded, I'm telling them where it's at. I'm giving them updates, reminding them when it's supposed to be arriving. If that's changing, then once they receive it, they're supposed to let me know. And then I'm able to track it. And then again, return the feedback to feed my starving children or whoever the donor is. Um, that it has been received. And so has that answered a question? Yeah, no, thank you. (laughs) Well, As as someone who's in marketing, I will never disagree with communicate more. Right, (laughs) over-communicating, right? Marketing and logistics, right? Absolutely. uh, Never make that mistake. Industries build upon good, efficient uh, communication. Uh, And and, and in general, people don't do it as often as we probably should. There's... uh, Mm -hmm there's a lot of problems that could have been resolved or could be resolved just by over communicating with all the parties and having all this uh, great conference calls and Zoom allows us to do that now. Right. So yeah. there's yeah. really not a yeah. lot of excuses anymore for us to not yeah. be communicating yeah. with yeah. people Absolutely. and our partners. Roger, I actually wanted to ask you a little bit more in detail uh, as of um, some of the places that feed the hungry is currently shipping to. Um, yeah. as well as your approach to providing meals. I mean, how do you kind of like decide which kind of uh, food goes where and, and yeah. which countries are you more active in and things like that? Sure. One of the things that that uh, I think is amazing about Feed the Hungry is really we're, we've logistically, we're, we're a logistics ministry is really what it comes down to. And 
what we're looking to do is we're looking to uh, partner people who want to give with people who need to receive. And so that's a big piece for us. And, and so what we are, are continually looking for is we're looking for organizations in countries that we can partner with very easily. They're of like mind. They may already have something established as far as a feeding program is concerned. And so historically, uh, we have looked for those partners. And so what that's done is that has allowed us to develop uh, partnerships in 23 different countries. And uh, of those 23 countries, we're feeding right around 380,000 children every day. Wow. Uh, so um, so we're, in, we're, we're in Central America, several yeah. countries in Central America, lots of countries in Africa, a few countries in Asia. Uh, so we, we, again, all of these partnerships have, have come about in really fascinating ways. It's always fun to hear, how did you get started in uh, Zimbabwe or how did you get started in Malawi? Mm -hmm. And to hear the stories, um, it's really very rarely it's an application, very rarely is an application that's come in to say, you know, this, this is, we want to be involved more about relationships and, uh, hey, you should talk to such and such and so and so, right. and they'll know this person who will know that person. And it's created this incredible network of individuals who are very like-minded. Um, we vet our, our in-country partner, the one who would oversee kind of direct the ministries there. But then they have their network set up of lots of local churches uh, that, that they work through. And so uh, in our, in our for example, in our program in Nicaragua, we, we're feeding over 100,000 children there every day wow. through a network of about 750 churches. And um, that, that came about just through a word of mouth relationship uh, through uh, a network of churches. Again, it's, it's just amazing to see all the little diverse projects that are happening, how everybody has come on board with Feed the Hungry and the like-mindedness that we're able to share of uh, being able to fulfill those needs that people have. It's unbelievable. And it's impressive what you guys are doing and the impact that you're having. I mean, if you could actually um, summarize it for some more listeners that are actually more, uh, I guess, familiar with the containers, like uh, 380,000 children every day sounds amazing and incredible but it's hard to kind of like imagine if you don't really mm -hmm. have like the the right uh kind of um expertise or, or background but so how how much does that convert into like actual container ship per month or yeah a lot <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it to me yes yeah, yeah we it is a lot each each one of the again each one of the countries because like it, for example in nicaragua where they're where we're where we're feeding 100,000 kids, obviously they'll need quite a lot more resources right. than what, right. than what uh, you know, little Lesotho will need where we're feeding, you know, 1,000 kids uh, a month. And so uh, a lot of that is, uh, you know, we look, at, uh, we look at our allocations from what we're receiving from our partners. Uh, those allocations then are assigned to, you know, months in advance. We begin booking the, the containers as to where they need to go. Uh, so there, there's a lot of moving pieces there in keeping track of, uh, of what they have in inventory currently, uh, what, uh, what we'll need to do in advance. Uh, we're looking at other things where they might have a natural disaster, like, for example, in Haiti, where, where things have come unraveled pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have a certain number of, of meals allocated for their feeding programs, um, but then they start pulling their inventory to help resource mm -hmm. the community. And so then we have to then react to that, make sure that we have the resources to fill back in what they need for their everyday programs. 
and as well to continue to help minister to the community around them. So again, lots of moving pieces there. Um, and Julie does a really great job in keeping a lot of those gears uh, figured out. Uh, we get a lot of feedback uh, from our, our partners as far as you know what they need, how we can help them. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers That's, your question. It, it, it does. No, it does. Thank you very much. Yeah, lots of containers headed out. <laughs> and again, it just depends on the country as far as how many of those containers. And we get, want to make sure that everyone work. continues to help you so that you can ship even more. So um, yeah. thank yeah. you. Absolutely. And you work with, um, you've mentioned working with a lot of schools and things too. So I'm curious how, how you've had to shift um, or have you during the pandemic with, I'm sure a lot of schools being closed and sure. things like that. So what, what has that gone like? Yeah. So what's really been interesting is again, we've had, uh, we've had great partnerships with our local churches. Again, they understand their communities in a much bigger way than what we would. And so we've given them a lot of freedom to adjust personally to what they need to adjust. One of the, one of the things that stands out in my mind is our partner in Guatemala. They, they began, uh, so normally um, the, the program will be at a school. There might be 150, 200 students, for example, at a school, they'll boil a big pot of rice with the, with the fortified rice that's in there. Um, and then they'll serve it, you know, to the kids for their lunch. Well, when school is not happening, obviously that's not going to be able to be done. And so what they did is they adapted. They uh, they cooked the rice the same way that they would normally in during the day, but then they will they loaded it up into the back of a pickup truck uh, in these large uh, tarp filled back bags basically, and they were going door to door delivering the 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 meals to the children from the school, and and it's interesting because. We, the feedback that we heard, many of our countries adopted a similar approach to that. Some of them, instead of actually cooking the meals, they would actually take the dry product out to families. But what was, what was a kind of a, a universal uh, truth that we were getting back from everybody here is that it gave them an opportunity to engage their community in ways that they mm -hmm. were never able to before when the school was serving it where it was a central location that was, was actually, now they were actually out and about. That and yeah, so it became very relational. They're not only engaging the children, but now they're also engaging those children's parents and their community. And, and, it's, and it's actually expanded our program in, in the middle of a, of a pandemic when, it, when our whole formula was basically come and receive your meal to go out now and get the meal. Uh, our programs expanded significantly. Yeah. And I want to have you share something too, but before you do that, it also gave an opportunity to just not only meet the, the families, but to see the kind of living circumstances yeah. that they right. were experiencing. And so we actually didn't get a chance to, to share a couple of stories, but Roger was going to share one specifically from Zambia. And I would love for him to share about this, this family and the story mm -hmm. that our uh, partners learned about as they were doing those door-to-door -door ministry or giveaways because of COVID. Yes. So we work, we work in the, the nation's capital of Lusaka in Zambia. And uh, there's a there's a pretty uh, pretty huge slum area outside of Lusaka, and uh, so our our team uh, was out there. Our local pastors were out there working and serving meals to these individuals in this slum. And as they did so, they came across a fairly old woman that was pounding rocks, just breaking them up into gravel, and that's how she paid for 
her family's life basically. Um, and, uh, so as she was breaking these rocks up, they had asked her, when was the last time that you had sold anything? And it had been many, 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 many weeks since she had sold any gravel. And, uh, because people weren't out and about because of the pandemic. And then they found out that she actually had 14 boys that she, that she was taking care of. Some of them were her great grandchildren. Some were nieces and nephews or great nieces and nephews. And she hadn't sold any anything for resources for quite some time. And that's how we, we, we got to know one of her grandsons, uh, great-grandsons. His name is Sims. And uh, Sims, um, here's this 10-year-old boy who basically uh, was very dependent upon the feeding programs at the school he was attending. But because school wasn't happening, now he was just hoping for just something to come by. It had been many weeks since they'd had a consistent meal. And our team was able to come into that situation with dry rations and be able to help that family out. Uh, one of the interesting things is to, to preoccupy their time. They have video of this. Sims and his friends would pretend that they were making a meal. And they actually had a little, little can where they would pretend that they were stirring the using meal sticks. up using sticks. And then they would pretend like they were eating. They, they had just gotten to that was how they were distracting themselves from the hunger that they had in their life. And just at that right moment, our team showed up, the, the local pastors there in Lusaka showed up and were able to uh, go beyond pretending with the food to actually being able to supply food to them. Yeah. And so um, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic that COVID has brought upon our programs. And uh, again, things are, are changing, they're constantly changing based on you know, you know, in-country uh, regulations and how COVID has affected different countries and so on. But uh, for the most part, what it has really done is it has allowed our teams to get out and to experience stories like Sims, where they can engage the whole family rather than just the, the individual student at school. Yeah. Wow, that's unbelievably heartbreaking story. And it just, uh, I don't know, I just feel so many different emotions all together, right? You're sad, but I'm pissed and I'm angry. And I just feel like we yeah. as human beings are better than that. We are, and yeah. there should we, there shouldn't be cases like that where people somewhere else around the world are pretending to cook food and then pretending to eat it because they just don't have enough. While we waste tons and tons and tons of food in this mm -hmm. country and other westernized um, countries. So it just thank you for what you guys are doing, and and thank you for sharing such powerful uh, stories with us and our audience. And um, thank you. You're welcome. We, um, wrap up here. You obviously you're doing amazing work. You've been able to highlight that. We've talked about how the pandemic has affected you. Um, we talked a little bit about Haiti. We talked before we got on air a little bit about Afghanistan. So um, if you could just share um, your most pressing needs right now that listeners might be able to assist with, um, as well as how to, to connect with you and feed the hungry, that would be great. Sure. I, um, I think that I know that the most pressing need that we have right now is just uh, the, the programs that we have. Let me back up here. The programs that we have are high capacity programs. They run very, very well. And every country where we are serving right now in the 23 places on planet earth that we're serving, every country is saying, we can get bigger. We can do more. There's more opportunities. Mm -hmm. And the challenge that we have is our resources of being able to find sources of food and um, again, we have uh, we have kind of maxed out our our experiences with our current suppliers, with Feed My Starving Children and others, 
And so we're looking for opportunities to partner with uh, like farmers co-ops or uh, just individuals who would say we have food that's available. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're looking for opportunities to expand. We're hoping by the end of this year to move from uh, move into the 400,000 children range is where we're hoping to, to supply that. And that being the case, we'll need more food. And mm -hmm. so the biggest need that we have currently is just being able to provide food to these nations. Um, and so uh, beyond that, um, you know, looking at just uh, our donor base is great. We've got a really, really good uh, supply chain as far as our finances that come into us. Uh, so the big thing for us really is just where do we find the resources? Mm -hmm. and, and we're taking aggressive steps to try to do that. Julie, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I was just going <clears> to <throat> add on that note. You, you mentioned farmers and co-ops. So we actually have a few different partners who would be willing to not only just pack food into, you know, because if someone donates like six totes of rice in Gaylord boxes, it's I don't know how familiar you are with the sizing, but it's a lot. It's like a whole pallet full of rice, right? So it's like, okay, well, this might need to be rebagged before it goes. So we have um, some partners who are willing to bag food for us. And not only that, but we also have recently come into contact with someone who said they would they would fortify it for us. So if we were able to get them the rice, the soy, the beans, the, the basic raw commodities, they would add the vitamins and nutrients, sure. which then makes it worth us sending, right? Because a lot of times the questions we get is, why don't you just buy in country? And we do buy in country, um, but it makes sense a lot of times for us to purchase or to receive food that is fortified. So you're not just getting, it's not like they're just get white rice. They're getting food that has been created and calculated intentionally to have micronutrients in it that are going to help these children overcome malnutrition and to receive and to learn in a way that they wouldn't before if they were either not eating or just having white rice, something to fill their stomach, right? They receive nutrition. And so that is a giant part of what we do. We want to be sending food that's actually beneficial for their little bodies to, to grow and, um, to become healthy adults. Yeah. And so, so if you're, if you're, uh, if your listeners, uh, you know, have some ideas or some thoughts about, uh, sourcing food, um, uh, they could reach out to either Julie or myself at feedthehungry.org. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's a, there's a contact uh, sheet there that they could go on and fill out, you know, questionnaire information for us to get back with them. Yeah. Or if they just have any questions about anything we're doing, want to learn how to get involved, sponsor specific projects. Um, they can reach out to us on there. Yeah, we'll put all the contact information for, for our listeners to kind of reach out to you too, and then also to find out a little bit more about what uh, Feed the Hungry is doing and, and how many how they can help. Yeah, great. Amazing. Thank you very much. This has been an incredibly uh, powerful conversation. We really appreciate yeah. having you guys here, and uh, we're thankful for, for uh, your example and leading with uh, – with a purpose, with a purpose-driven organization, and so again, I will sign off now. Uh, but uh, but it's been a pleasure, and we we will keep an eye on you and your progress, and we'll continue helping you. And of course, you count with with our full support for whatever you might need going forward. Absolutely, thank you, thank you, Roger, Julie. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you with us. And again, for everyone that has been listening to this conversation or some of the others that we've had before, don't forget to sign up for uh, Logistics with Purpose. I'm Enrique Alvarez, and I'm with Christy today. Thank you once again, and have an excellent rest of the week. Thanks, y'all. Bye.